Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today, these words of St. Matthew you heard earlier. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So far our text, dear friends, and our Lord Jesus. Some years ago, a job interview of sorts took place between Mr. Charles Schwab, the one that you know, at that time the president of Bethlehem Steel, and a certain Mr. Ivy Lee, a self-made management consultant. Ivy Lee was an aggressive, self-confident man who, by his own perseverance, had secured this interview with Mr. Schwab, who was no less self-assured, being one of the most powerful men in the world of his day. Well, during the conversation, Mr. Lee, the consultant, asserted that if Mr. Schwab and his management team of Bethlehem Steel would follow his advice, the company's operations would be greatly improved and their profits vastly increased. Charles Schwab responded that if if Mr. Lee could show him a way to get more things done, he'd be glad to listen. And, he said, and if it works, I'll pay you whatever you ask, within reason. And so Lee handed Mr. Schwab a blank piece of paper. And he said, write down the most important things that you have to do tomorrow. Number them in order of importance. Tomorrow morning, start on number one and then proceed on to number two. After number one has been completed, stay with number one until you've completed it. And then, and then go on to number two and then number three and number four. And don't worry, he said, if you haven't completed everything by the end of the day, at least you'll have completed the most important tasks before you. And do this, he said, every day. Do this every day. And once you yourself have become convinced of of the value of the system, have your men try it out. And try it out, he said, for as long as you'd like. Then send me a check for however much you think this advice is worth. So the two men, they shook hands and they parted ways. And a few weeks later, Mr. Lee, the consultant, received in the mail a check from Mr. Schwab in the amount of $25,000, an astounding amount for the 1930s. $25,000, Charles Schwab said it was the most profitable business lesson that he'd ever learned. Putting priorities straight. Having priorities straight, it's key. It's key not just for business. It's fundamental to life. But we don't always see as important the things that are truly important. We often don't see as crucial in our lives the things that God considers crucial and vital and utterly valuable, even necessary to us in our lives. And so like Peter, again, again like Peter, we're guilty of of not having our priorities straight, of having highest in our minds not the things of God, but the things of man. The things of man, they, they come in all sizes and shapes, don't they? Consider all the times in Scripture that we're given that $25,000 piece of advice, if you will. 
that invaluable advice from God about prioritizing God and mammon? Remember that Christ said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can, and they certainly do break in and and steal. But he said, be heavenly minded. Have in mind, he said, the things of God. Or, or recall the, the parable that he told of the rich fool. who made it his, this, this man made it his highest priority. And placed his soul's sure security in building ever bigger barns. To store his ever accumulating things. In this, Jesus said his soul was contented. And he ate and drank and was merry. And took security in them. Of it, Jesus said, God said, you fool. You fool tonight, your very soul is required of you have foremost in your mind, he said, the things of God. Or, or what about even our gospel reading today? That asks us the, the fundamental but the ultimate God-mammon question, really. Remember what Jesus said, what will it profit you if you would gain the whole world? And so many try, don't they? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and, and yet forfeit your soul? Have in mind the things of God, he says. So often it is about God and mammon. God against things. One can't serve both God and mammon, can they? One can't serve both. Which one has priority? Which one's it going to be? So often it is that gaining of the whole world that tends to be the priority. The priority for many, many of us. All the nations, he said, Jesus said, all the nations seek after these things. And there's good reason that all the nations do. Universally it's done. The reason? St. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh, he's talking about our, 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 our nature by birth and nature. Our old sinful nature. Paul said those who live according to the flesh set their minds on. Are mindful of and set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, but to you. You who are newborn to walk in newness of life. Remember what Jesus said. He said seek first. Priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God. Have, on your, have in your mind first the, the things of God. He said. And his righteousness, his righteousness located in no one else than in Christ Jesus. And you'll locate him only where his word is preached and read. His sacraments distributed where the Holy Spirit's at work. You see the priority that God has set for us. Misplaced priorities on the things of man so often it is about about misplacing or exchanging the priorities of God and of, of mammon. But not always. Not always, and especially for us Christians. So often for us, we misplace priorities because the things of, of God don't appear and seem to be what the minds of men would expect the things of God to be and to look like. Certainly was the case in the sermon text for today. It was, it was the case with Peter. Peter didn't like the cross talk he was hearing. It's not what God was supposed to be about. Shame, suffering, death. He didn't like the cross talk he was hearing. Remember, remember what Matthew reports? Jesus said from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go up to Jerusalem 
and suffer, be killed. No, Jesus. No, don't talk that way. Don't talk that way. Let's not talk that way. Remember what you, remember what you just said about, about building your church on, on the rock so that not even the gates of, of hell could, could conquer it? Let's talk more about that, Jesus. Remember the miraculous feeding of those, those many on the hillside, Jesus? I think it was 4,000, Jesus, wasn't it? Remember the multitudes that you healed shortly before that? And it was, wasn't it great how you, how you outwitted the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And remember the power, remember the power, Jesus, that emanated from the hem of your garment? And how about that walking on the water, Jesus? And remember, I walked with you for a time, Jesus, on the water. And don't forget, Jesus, when you took those two fish and five loaves, and remember how they wanted to, to make you king right then and there, Jesus? These are God ways. These are the things of God, God things, the King of glory, Jesus. Don't you think it was in Peter's mind? The King of glory, Jesus. Don't forget who you are, Jesus. And Matthew says Peter took Jesus aside. Can you imagine? Peter took Jesus aside and he rebuked him. I would think that for the rest of his life, Peter must have blushed with humiliation every time he thought about that. He took Jesus aside to correct him. What about us? What about us? Are we theologians of glory too? Are we rather embarrassed and put off by crosstalk? We think it's off the mark. It's not so inviting. Are we all too ready, like so many in our day, to exchange it? Trade it in, exchange it for prioritizing principles of living that promise a glorious prosperity in the Christian life. Instead of lifting high the cross, the shameful cross of Christ and then taking up our own hardships for his name's sake and following. Do we look upon the meager manger and stable of the most humble church wherein the Christ, the pure Christ child lies in preaching, in its preaching and, it, and in its teaching? And do we admire it less, that humble stable, that humble setting? Do we ad admire it less or esteem it less than the more bustling, bigger temples where, where the preaching of Christ and his suffering are absent and yet it appears that so much more is going on? Have you ever hesitated at the humble forms under which Christ delivers himself to you in both word and, and sacrament? Under the very common water, bread and wine? In what ways have we taken the Christ aside in our own lives too and, and said of the things of God, No, far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you, Lord. At times, it's misprioritizing God and mammon. At other times, and so often, it's wrongly prioritizing expectations of glory and the cross. But like Peter, no doubt, we're guilty of having in mind the things of men, not the things of God. And even though it's true that 
that we haven't made him our priority. He's made us his priority. He's made us his priority. He set aside the glory of heaven. Set it aside. And he left the place where angels dwell and voices are raised to him in a constant stream of unbroken harmony. And he left it all. Leaving the company of heaven with with singleness of mind. The immortal Son of God assumed very mortal flesh. For this purpose, he said, for this purpose alone I came into the world, that as I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And St. Paul adds this, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's a mission statement for you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. His purpose was plain. His priority was you. His priority was you. And so as our text tells us, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and be raised on the third day. You must note this well. That brief little word that Matthew includes there. Must. In the Greek, it's day, a three-letter word, D-E-I, day. And though a little word in the Greek, it makes an awfully big impact on things because it marks absolute necessity, day, must, must. Putting all else aside, Jesus began from that time, and there was no option. Jesus began from that time to show That to Jerusalem is where he must go with divine intent and divine resolution. In his mind, there was no option. In his mind, there was no alternative. For you, he had to get to destination Jerusalem. His life was a life under the cross, headed toward the cross. For you, he had to suffer. For you... He had to die. For him, it was a must. Because had he not, then for you and for me, the suffering and the dying for eternity would have been a must. It would have been our necessity had he not taken it upon himself. With divine resolve, with you in mind, he had to go to Jerusalem to accomplish the task for which he came for which he so willingly came, and he did. Resurrection approved. You know you're still highest priority to him. You you need only look as far as as his table this morning. And you see that, that he still brings to you in humble form, in humble sacramental form, the forgiveness of sins that he, he won for you in humble form on the cross. You know, the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that Christ had you most in mind, and we we never can forget that. How do you know? Because he writes this, He for the joy set before Him, you heard it reflected in the collect for the day. He for the joy set before Him, and that's you. That's me. And our eternal salvation, He for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Scorning its shame. The joy is you. And me. And of course you know that the writer of the Hebrews isn't finished. 
there. The writer of Hebrews isn't finished there. He goes on in that verse. With that verse, he goes on this way, ascending from the valley of of the cross, the lowly cross, ascending from there to say this, yet he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's glory talk. No longer cross talk, now that's glory talk. You see, the glory that so often is placed so high in the minds of men here below has not escaped the mind of God. Glorious is your destiny. Glorious is your destiny, for Christ said, where I am, there you shall be. But as one has noted, and very rightly so, there are no crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here on earth. And you think back to our gospel reading, and isn't that exactly what Jesus said? He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So like we sang just a moment ago in the hymn, and so bear the cross, whatever be tied, take his example as your guide, but do so knowing this, knowing that whatever cross you've been given to bear, that is, whatever you must suffer for his name's sake, and the confession of it, because that's a true cross, bearing what you must bear and what you've been given to bear for his name's sake, Whatever it be, be mindful of it with heaven's time in view. Be mindful of it with heaven's time in view. Dr. Herman Gockel, you know the name well. He used to be a member of this congregation, an author of several devotional books, once emphasized that very point of having having heaven's time in view when bearing crosses and feeling the strains of earth's pilgrimage. He said, have heaven's time in view. He said it this way. He said that travelers to distant countries, they've been known to keep one timepiece set to the the time of their native land so that for reasons of sentiment, they might always know what time it is in their homeland. So he says, in a somewhat similar sense, Christians here below cross-bearing pilgrims. They keep one clock, the clock of faith and trust, in time with the clocks of our Father's house in heaven. And so Dr. Gockel remarks, he said, the answer to my prayer or the lifting and the bearing of my cross, the deliverance from a painful sorrow or the granting of a long-sought pleasure here below are all scheduled for fulfillment. Not according to the clocks on the walls of the world, but according to the clocks of eternity. For all of us, dear friends, we pray that God keep us throughout all our days as we bear crosses in this world, mindful of the cross that he's borne, mindful of the things of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.